0: Hello and welcome to the DevDC podcast. My name is Shay Reardon, and today we have Jared Smith. Jared has Hello. been a software development and uh, open source evangelist for 25 years. And uh, Jared's actually worked at places like Red Hat, the Endurance International Group and Capital One, and even published a book on programming languages and created what we'll see here, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective Software Developers, which we're obviously going to cover today. And uh, yeah, thanks for being on this morning, Jared.
1: No problem. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Of course. Great. No, happy to have you. Um, so the DevDC podcast is geared towards the growth and development of engineers. And Jared, you've been putting content out to help engineers for quite some time. Curious what fuels you doing that?
1: Um a couple of things. I think uh, I was very lucky in early on in my career to have a couple of great mentors who really kind of taught me the ropes and, and taught me some skills that have, have, have really helped me along. And then I spent part of my career doing uh, technical training. And so I had uh, Got to see students come through some of my classes and start out with maybe maybe a rudimentary knowledge of the of the technical material and then really have those eureka moments where they're like aha now I can finally go do something with these with these skills that I've learned and so for me that's that's part of what drives that I've also been very passionate about open source communities and open source is all about sharing and and, and you know helping people bootstrap themselves to where they can take code and, and go go do interesting things with it and then showcase what what work they've done so. I don't, that all just kind of rolls into to why I do what I do.
0: Nice. That's good that you take a uh, genuine interest in helping folks out. and seems like it is a passion of yours. Um, it really is. W- would love to hear like your story, wherever, you know, you want it to begin.
1: Sure. Um, I, uh, I grew up in a small town in Wyoming and when I say small town, I mean, you know, an hour from the nearest stoplight kind of small town in yeah. Wyoming. Uh, but, but my dad knew that, uh, that computers were going to be the big thing. And, uh, and so he, uh, he bought a little Commodore 64 and, uh, that was really my start in the, in the, in the computer age. And, How did he
0: know that? That's a long time ago. Was he in uh, tech also? Uh,
1: he was not in tech. He was in finance, but, uh, okay. but, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know c- computers were starting to come into accounting and bookkeeping and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And so he, he knew that, you know, that, you know, that, that that was going to be the, the cool thing so we bought this commodore 64 but we bought it without it without a, a tape drive or w- without even a, a cassette drive for for the first yeah. little while that we had it so i would turn on the computer i could type in a program in basic i could run that program but if i turned off the computer all the memory yeah. was gone storage, was no storage. Was gone. yeah storage was gone but that uh that kind of got me started in programming and, and learning to uh, kind of you know chart my own way and built what i wanted to build for for computers and um uh, eventually we got it we got a floppy drive and we got a 300 baud modem and you know the rest is they say is history did you,
0: did you add that all on yourself or were you... oh, oh yeah oh nice interesting
1: and then and then uh moved on to the, the commodore 128 which was uh, kind of a cool little machine that nobody really understood because you could boot it into commodore basic or you could boot it into cpm which is kind of a precursor to dos and it's kind of interesting that it had these kind of you know dual personalities on a computer and then uh I started getting into the obviously the intel 8086 and 8088 type, type processors and you know on the modern modern pc hardware but i've always i've always done a little bit of computer hardware a little bit of computer software uh got a got a degree in, in electrical engineering mm-hmm. and uh, so it was very very involved on the hardware side and, and that sort of thing but at the same time i was going to school i was also working in the software industry doing yeah, software development and systems administration. So I, you know, got a lot on the software side, and on the operation side as well. And then uh, my career has been uh, kind of a, it's not, not been a straight path. It's been a very windy road, but winding between systems administration, software development, open source evangelism, uh, leading software development teams and kind of developer evangelism all rolled into one.
0: Nice. Nice. A lot of different things there. i um, curious how old you were when you first started, um, you know, with your computer, like adding when I, when, storage when, on the side and all that. When,
1: when I started with the Commodore 64, I was, I don't know, six years old, five years oh, old. Oh,
0: yeah. There you go. Very,
1: very young. I, I found that by the time I was, you know, getting getting ready to leave elementary school and go on to middle school that i knew more about computers than the teachers did and that the teachers yeah, were pull, sure. pulling me out of class to, to come fix the fix the, the, the computers for the other students um you know and uh you know just tip, tip, typical geek story you know
0: yeah uh, what, what brought you like to the dc the dmv what brought you to this yep. area
1: so uh when my wife and I got married uh we came out here as part of our honeymoon she has some family here in the Stafford County Virginia area in fact she's got there's a the, we, we now live on a family farm here that's been in her family for a couple hundred years and uh and I, I just fell in love with the area I love the trees I love the outdoors I love that we're you know close enough to the to the beach but close enough to the mountains kind of get all four seasons and and so uh Uh, after visiting here on our on our honeymoon i just kind of fell in love with the area and we we you know lived other places for a few years and then we decided that this is where we really wanted to be and i got a job that would let me work remotely and uh, so we moved out here and i've worked mostly remotely for the last 15 or 16 years okay so
0: you're used to this
1: yeah i'm I'm used to this this is this is old hat for me everybody else is figuring it out with covid and so it's it again been an opportunity for me to use a little mentorship and show people what I've learned over the last fifteen or sixteen years of working remotely.
0: Yep, absolutely, and I think that's a, a good segue, right? We have the the Seven Habits of Effective Software Developers here. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. Um, why you created it, and, and you know what the content is.
1: Sure, um, I, I sort of created it by accident. Um, I got asked by one of my supervisors at one of the one of the companies I was working for. Uh, he asked me one day, just kind of out of the blue, he's like, have you been able to identify any habits or car- characteristics yeah. in, in, in in your team of things that people that, that are really effective have that, that people who aren't effective, you know, don't have, you know, and I started thinking about it and I, I jotted down some notes and, uh, and to, to, to kind of set, set set a little bit of backstory. Um, right after I got married, my parents being very practical people, um, as a, as a birthday gift, gave me a copy of Stephen Covey's book called *The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People*, and then they also gave me one of these Franklin planners. And so, again, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but uh, gives you an idea about about the time I got married. Um, and uh, I, I, I started reading the book, and maybe got five pages into it, and said, "Ah, self help <laughs> stuff. I'm not really into that." And, and, and you know, put, put a put a post in it note in it and stuck it on the shelf, and, and didn't really return to it for about another fifteen or. 15 or 20 years um but as my boss asked me about these these habits i started kind of forming a list and i i i had maybe five or six and then a a coworker of mine says man those sound a lot like the seven habits that stephen covey has in his book and so i thought well i guess i better go dig out the book and look and see if there's see if there's any parallels and and, Mm -hmm. and funny funny enough um, they matched up almost identically, and so I, I did a presentation on, on seven ha- habits of highly effective software developers, and then I've kind of revamped this and, and, and redone it several times for several different presentations in, in, in various venues. Um, that's that's kind of how that, that came about. Uh, the other thing I found uh, very interesting about this is uh, over the last couple of years, I finished up my MBA program and I had a, uh, a leadership class as part of that. And of course, the required reading for that was, was Stephen Covey's sure. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And so this, is, this has been top on my mind. And so um, not, not to put too much focus specifically on the book and, and, and the seven habits that come out of Stephen Covey's uh, work, but, but basically it's seven habits that, that lead you from being dependent to being independent to being interdependent and then kind of sharpening the sod and then and, and improving your skills there. But to kind of mix it up, what I've done with my presentation is I've made it more, uh, just just add a little more excitement. I I, I want to liken it to the game of golf. Um, okay. I don't know how many how many of the listeners here have played golf. I mean, I think most people are fairly familiar with it. You hit a little white ball around a big uh, field and, and you know curse a lot and. Uh, yeah, the lower sort of score the better. The lower the isn't score the, good the better. for me, but yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> that is the goal. <laughs> and, 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 and one of the other nice things about golf is that that it's not a zero sum game. You know, if, if I win, it doesn't mean you lose, you know, it means right. we, we play together and we, we're both playing against our own, our own skills and our own handicap, you know, Right. not necessarily playing directly against each other. Um, and people of different skills, you know, skill levels can play together and still have a good time. So, um, anyway, to, to make the, the presentation kind of interesting, we're going to score these things uh, like we score golf, the lower the score, the better, um, like, like they say, the score's made up, the points don't matter, but it's a fun way to just kind of gauge yourself and do some some introspection on you know, how, how are you with, with some of these different habits. And we'll look at some of these habits, both from the perspective of being a software developer, as well as the perspective of being a manager of software developers. So we'll kind of okay. switch back and forth.
0: Yeah, because you've done both, yep. Yep.
1: So uh, let's start off out with habit number one. The first habit I, I've noticed about effective software developers is they tend to be proactive. They know when to be proactive and how to be proactive. Um, the, you know, they don't wait to be told to go test something and see if you know, see if the the, the, the software is actually working like it should. Uh, they don't have to be told to go fix a problem. You know, they see a problem happen, they're they're being proactive and trying to, to, to respond to that. Uh, they don't wait for a disaster to happen. You know, they 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 communicate and 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 go and and jump in and, and solve problems before somebody has to tell them to go do that. Um, you know, with, with managers, uh, especially managers or software developers, there's sometimes those hard conversations you have to, you have to have with with your, uh, reports. And, and I find that effective, you know, software development managers have those hard conversations proactively rather than waiting for a disaster and saying, Oh, I should have had this yeah, conversation sure. three weeks ago, but you know, we really need to fix this or, Hey, we need to you know put you on a performance plan to improve some things or that sort of thing. Um, so knowing, you know, when and how to be proactive with your, uh, with your reports is very, very important. So uh, just uh, again, to, we'll bring golf into this and I'll our, go- our, our golf score here. You start out with a score of zero. For this hole, we're going to say add two to your score if you have to be instructed to do every little thing. Or, or <laughs> as a manager, you're micromanaging every, everything that happens you know, with, with your team. Um, you know, that's your double bogey right there. Right. Um, you will add one to your score. If, if you're waiting until a disaster happens to, re- to you know, try, try restoring your backups or try, try to re- reboot the server. Sure. You know, everybody, ev- everybody, I think in a, you in know, a, in a, you know, fairly good size organization or larger has this one server that, Hey, if that server ever gets rebooted, the whole company's going to fall apart. Yeah. Right. right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, give, give yourself a, a, a point if, 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 if you see that in your, in your organization. Um, you know, kind of par for the course is just expecting every project to just work without without any proactive work being being you know done on it um, and then we will give you give you a birdie if, if you're good at giving timely advice and, and proactively saying hey it would be great if we you know, went and did this and we'll even give you uh, uh, you know two under par if you you're know, setting it if you set expectations early you give timely feedback during a project and you give appropriate praise once the project is done
0: mm-hmm. So Jared, I have a question. So, sure. You know, you started playing with computers when you're like six, and mm-hmm. you mentioned that one of the reasons that you're fueled to help software developers in their careers because you've had mentors. Who mentored you?
1: <laughs> so, uh, well, one one my father when I was when I was. Yeah. Really- um You know, he, by the time I was in middle school and early part of high school, he was actually teaching some small computer classes in this in this little town I grew up in, just to help yeah. you know friends and neighbors. It, it, how and small
0: it. is little, by the way? Because I, I grew up in a small uh, the, town myself. The,
1: the the town itself probably has three hundred people. Oh maybe. yeah, mine's way
0: bigger than yours. I had twelve thousand. So you
1: know. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I said, we were, <laughs> I, I, I was literally more than more than an hour from the closest stoplight. Yeah. Um, I mean. The, the, Not to go too too far down this tangent, but when I was in high school, they they said there were I I heard a statistic that said there was a Kmart within eight within five miles of 85% of the US population. And I was 70, 75 miles from the nearest campus. Oh,
0: okay, yeah. That,
1: uh, that tells that tells you how, how far I'm it gives
0: you a, where you fall in a percentile there. Yeah, yeah. I was, I, 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 <laughs> I, I was the
1: exception to the exception. So. Yeah. So, but but then when I went off to college and started working, you know, while I was in college, I had a I had a really great mentor by the name of Alan who uh, kind of took me under his wing and and taught me a lot of these skills as I was just a you know part time college student uh, working on some some simulator systems. Um, he was the one that was my probably my first great mentor as, as okay. far as how how to do some of these sorts of things. So, got to got to give him credit. credit was that had, that was oh, in Utah? Is there that your, was in Utah? Utah, okay. That was in, in northern Utah, a little town called Logan, Utah, near Utah State University. Okay. Um, my, both my wife and I uh, worked for the same simulator company, and Alan was both of our bosses. And so we, we had a we had a good time with Alan. And, but he was he was great at not just. And you met your wife. Music.
0: That's pretty good.
1: I actually met my wife before then, but uh, oh, okay. she, she got a job there, and then uh, then I was able to weasel my way into the company nice, as well. nice. Yeah, we had a we we had a good time working together at the same company. So
2: nice. Anyway, and then
1: since, since then, I've had several other, several other, you know, supervisors and bosses and CEOs that have been great mentors to me, both on the business side and on the. Yeah. Uh, side, so. All right. Should we go on to number two? Yeah, let's hear it. Uh, number two is about planning for success. Oh, um, interesting. I've, I find that, uh, that effective software developers plan ahead. Um one of the things that, that, that my good mentor Alan taught me was that if you can't say it in English or if you can't scratch it on a napkin, you can't write it in code. And I, I learned this when he had a big software development project that, was the, 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 that got thrown on his lap and it was kind of time sensitive. And I saw him walk into his office and pull out some, some sheets of paper and start he started doodling on a piece of paper. And I thought, Alan, what are you doing? We got to have this program done in a few hours. Why, why are you doodling on paper rather than sitting down at the keyboard? And he says, here, let me show you. He says, I'm trying to work out the logic in my head or on on a piece of paper here. Once I can do that, then I can write it in code. But if I'm trying to write it in code and fight, you know, syntax errors and and, and logic errors, while I haven't got the logic formed out in my head, then I'm not going to be able to get this done in time. And so um, I I, I ask software developers, how will you know when your program is finished? How will you know that your program is actually working as as it is intended, you know? Yeah. Is a program ever really finished? I mean, oftentimes you write version 1.0 of a piece right. of software, and then there's things that, that, that you want to add to 1.1 or 1.2, and then eventually you get second system syndrome and you try to write 2.0 and, and on we go. But, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, sketch it out on paper first, plan, plan ahead for, for what you're trying to develop.
0: Uh, yeah. So this is plan for success, not just plan ahead, right? It's sure. like plan as if it's gonna go well.
1: <laughs> plan as if it's gonna go well, but how do you know what success is? You know. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so yeah. You know, and, and
0: this. It's got to help with burnout too, right? It
1: does. Yeah. And the other thing this helps with is, you know, without, without going too far into prescribing things like test-driven development or behavior-driven development, you know, knowing, hey, is, is this working or not? And how are we going to know if it's successful or not is important as you're writing a program because you can write those tests or, or you know, those sorts of kind of guardrails around the, around the code as you're writing it rather than trying to do QA after the fact and right. without any, it without any of that along the way.
2: So, right, so, How I, do
1: we again, score this? Okay, here we for, for go. For scoring this uh, <laughs> plus two if you start working on a project without any plans. Even if it's if on you, a
0: piece of, you know, a napkin, that, that can even be a if it's plan. it's on a napkin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. What,
1: uh, so, something I read in an article this past week said it's not the plans themselves that are that are so important that is, as it is the process of planning. And so. You know, if you start a project without any planning at all, then, then give yourself plus two, give yourself plus one. If you overplan to the point of not actually getting any work done, sure. you know, There's there is a you know the, the flip side is you can't overplan or or or, or spend so much time planning that you don't actually get any work done. Right. Um, you know, par for the course is probably a sketch on the back of a napkin, which promptly gets thrown away. But at least you went through the planning exercise there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, a birdie on this and is get everyone on on board with a general plan before the project starts. You know hey, this is okay. what we're doing this is the, the, the general direction we're heading in it's we're not going we're not going to plan every single little detail but let's let's get everybody on board and at least uh, start starting in the right direction and then I say you know two below par if you uh, revisit your, your plan periodically along the way um, you get stakeholder approval for any significant changes along the way um, it's as much it's as much about planning along the way as it is planning at the beginning you can't just plan a plan at the beginning and then do no more planning until the very end of the project. Uh, mm-hmm. In in, in, uh, in the uh, military, they say that, that no good plan survives first contact with the enemy, and uh, I think that's the same in software development sometimes, is you have a pretty good plan, and then you get into the project, and then you have to make compromises and say, well, this didn't go according to plan, or hey, the, th- the time s- table's changed here or oh we thought we were going to be able to do it this way but something came up and we're now we're going to have to change course and so right you, you want to periodically review your plans and make changes as, as, as those things happen
0: so I, I want to put you on the spot here so you've been a director you've been a manager you've obviously been a developer yourself so um could you tell me a story that and then assign a grade to it <laughs> whether it's a, a bogey or an eagle or somewhere in between about from your sure. experience
1: um uh, without without naming a particular yeah, name, I worked sure. I worked for a I, I worked for a large uh, large company uh, and they th- they were really big into agile and agile with a capital A and to the point where they they uh, they tried to, to to plan maybe a little over planning uh, okay. a, of things but they had uh, eight eight week sprints and so you can imagine trying to plan ahead for for everything we we're going to do for eight, in the weeks, next yeah. eight weeks yeah sure.
0: And I have a tough time sitting down on Monday morning figuring out what's going to happen Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So, and that's exactly. just for me. Never mind for a team. So.
1: Yep. Yeah. And so it, it, it was really hard as, as as you tried to plan. Okay, this is what we want to have happen over the next eight weeks. It was really hard to have that. You know, not 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 get totally messed up by you know. You get two two or three weeks into that into that into that sprint and, and realize, oh hey, what we thought was going to work is not going to work, or or this other uh, you know requirement was imposed upon us. And, and, you know, we, we really suffered because we couldn't kind of adjust things on the fly to, to, to the situation on the ground as we.
2: Yeah. So that was, that that was Mm -hmm.
1: probably a double bogey. Um, uh, Another situation I was in uh, I was working for a company and we acquired another company. And as part of that acquisition, we knew we were going to have to integrate some teams fairly quickly. Right. And so by, by planning ahead and actually sitting down with the, the, the teams of the company we were acquiring and saying, hey, because of this and this, we're gonna to have to integrate the team fairly quickly. Ordinarily, we would like to take a little slower approach to this, but you know, these are the constraints we have. Let's plan ahead for how are we gonna get these teams communicating, working on the same sheet of music, that sort of thing. Um, by planning ahead a little bit, we were actually able to make that that work really, really smooth. Nice,
0: and, that's good uh, to hear. Acquisitions and mergers are tough.
1: Mergers and acquisitions, as they call them, are, are very tough. And I've, I've had my fair share of those. So um, that's that's always good when they go smoothly. Nice, good. All right, let's move on to number three. Um, and that's on, on focusing on your uh, priorities. Um, so I, I like to ask my software developers, uh, developers this question. How do you start your day? Do you sit down and start writing code first or do you check your email first do you read the news you know what what how, how do you start your day what 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 well, how do you just kick kick off that day uh, if you're cock- kicking off a new uh, software development project what do you what code do you write first yeah do, 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 do you write the do you write the you know the command line parser for the command line options do you do you write the tests first do you write the you know the easy part first um, you yeah. know how do, how do you do that Um okay. Because we all know that there are things that in, in software development, just in life, there are things that are urgent and there are things that are not urgent. Right. There are things that are important and there are things that are not important. And uh, Stephen Covey, Covey in his book actually breaks these up into, into four quadrants. You can think of like a spreadsheet with two columns and two rows, you know, the columns being urgent and not urgent and the rows being important. Oh, yeah. This is important. with
0: time management too, right? Yeah,
1: and, and it's with time management as well. Mm-hmm. And, and so he calls these quadrants one, two, three, and four. So quadrant one is urgent and important. Quadrant two is important, but not urgent. Quadrant three is urgent, but not important. And quadrant four is neither urgent nor important. Right. Now that's, that, that's interesting, you know, and, and trying, trying to lump the activities you do into one of these quadrants is, is interesting. But this, uh, this next graphic, for those who are on the video, um, I actually found more interesting because it tells you what to do with the things that are in, in each of these quadrants. For the things that are in that quadrant one, the things that are urgent and important, those are things that are kind of crises. Those are pressing problems. Those are the things you want to manage.
2: Mm.
1: Um, you want to get out of, hopefully get out of da- daily firefighting mode, mode. Hopefully not everything is, a, is on fire, but uh, those are those important and urgent things. You have to manage those. You have to deal with those. Um The things in quadrant two, the things that are important, but not urgent, those are kind of your strategic planning, your critical thinking, you know, making sure you're considering the the bigger picture sorts of things. Um, Those are the things that are going to help you focus on the future. Um,
0: Is is this where people should be starting their day in quadrant two? Important uh, and not urgent?
1: I, I I find it's helpful for me.
0: Yeah, that's what quadrant I quadrant think two. for myself too. Yeah, and, when and I prioritize I, my day, it starts at two. <laughs> right.
1: And I've also found that if I'm procrastinating, it's because I'm putting the things in quadrant three ahead of quadrant two. You know, the things that are urgent, but not important. Yeah, right. You know, you know it, it's urgent that I respond to that that email that could really wait until, until later in the day, you know, because mm-hmm. it just popped into my inbox. Yeah, but you know? if you want
0: to be busy for 20 minutes, feeling like you're doing something, you could definitely do that, which it's is a, you know, a exactly tough game. That. Yep. Yeah. So,
1: so, so quadrant three are really the things you want to avoid wherever possible. I mean, yes, you need to do them. They are, they, they, they are urgent, but they're not necessarily that important. So right. whenever possible, you know, don't, don't let those get in the way of your quadrant two and, and definitely not your quadrant one things. And then quadrant four, are just the trivial wasteful things that we want to try to limit, you know, and these, yeah. uh, these, um, you know, just are, are they're, they're, they're for entertainment. They're there for, you know, Hey, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, play that game for five minutes between, you know, while I'm waiting for the code to compile, but, you know, could, could be doing other things type. Right. Type thing. So I, I, I find this chart really helps me to just know what to do with, with those, those things. And so. Now,
0: would you use a chart when you're managing managers like this, as well as when you're managing developers?
1: Sure. I, yeah. I I'll, I'll often ask, ask people, I'll say, you know, Hey, you know, you, you've told me that you're spending a lot of time in, in such and such task. Is that a, is that a quadrant one thing? Or is that a quadrant two thing? Or is that a. Yeah. One? Okay. And uh, and then they'll say, oh yeah, I guess I am spending more time in Quadrant Three than I need to, and I really should be focused on Quadrant Two when I can, and in Quadrant One when those things come up. Obviously, so, um, so being being able to prioritize. Uh, the other thing that this comes in handy for, w- not only with time management, is incident management. If you've got, you know, if let's let's say you've got an outage with your, your with your software pro- project, right. and, and you're tr- you're scrambling to try to uh, to fix the problem. Um, using some of this to say, hey, you know, communication with the team is important. It's not necessarily urgent, but it's important. Um, how are we going to structure incident management so that maybe we have somebody on, on our team whose job it is to communicate with, with with the other, you know, senior leaders in the company about where we are in, the, in in fixing this problem so that the person fixing the problem can focus on fixing the problem and isn't have, having to both do triage and, and
0: communication. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm.
1: So figuring out what's what's urgent, what's important, and then and then, you know building your, your incident response team and incident re- response plans around that is, is, is often helpful.
0: Yeah. We call it the keeping the lights on activities, right. Mm-hmm. Opposed to the innovation, which was probably two versus three and where, how you can get more time into two and away from three. Yep. <laughs>
1: yeah exactly so uh, as far as scoring there um if you're mindlessly checking email news you know all your rss feeds etc to avoid work by telling people how busy you are then then you're probably stuck in quadrant three there and you should give yourself two points um if you're constantly firefighting so that everything is quadrant one and nothing in quadrant two ever gets done then, then that's un- un- unhealthy as well so give yourself one point uh if you try to rotate between all four quadrants during any given day i would say that's probably par for the course Um, if you can spend an hour a day on quadrant two, I'd give yourself a, I'd give yourself a point. That's hard to do. Yeah. Um, Like, like you said, Shay, it's, it's often easier to do that at the beginning of the day. Right. That's exactly what I was
0: thinking. Yeah. Get the hard things done first. Yep. And and things that are hard to find time for.
1: (laughs) And if you can proactively block off time in your calendar specifically for your quadrant two items and keep. Those quadrant three items from from you know injecting themselves into that time, yeah. Um, that that's that's worth you know, two points below par because that's uh, that, that that's very very important is to proactively block off time to focus on the uh, not not just hey okay, what's what's pressing right now, but how am I how how am I developing myself as a developer, or how am I you know helping my team to to progress and develop. I mean, right. remember, so. so that's that one. Uh, number four is is that it's not a zero sum game. Uh, so uh, we often know that, that many games, including like board games like checkers or chess, the, the, the idea of a zero-sum game, means if one person wins, the other person loses, or if one person gets three points and the other person gets negative three points, that sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but generally, life is not a zero-sum game. Um, software development tends not to be a zero-sum game. And so you want to look for those kind of win-win situations or even if you can find them win-win-win situations, meaning you you win, the other person wins, but the the customer or the user of the software wins as well. Um, It's often a little more hard, you know, a little harder. It's a little more work. It's a little more effort. It's a little more strain to, to figure out how you can, how you can do these things such that, uh, you know, that, that that everybody wins or most everybody wins. And it's not, it's not a zero sum game. Um, I, uh, I remember giving this presentation uh, a, a few years ago at a conference and, and the morning of the presentation, I, I came across a tweet that said, software development is 80%, or excuse me, it's 20% code and 80% people. And, and some people mm. interpreted that the wrong way, saying, Oh, well, you don't need to learn how to code. It's not, it's not about the code. And And, and I, I don't want to go down there, but, but there is a lot to software development. That's not just coding. It's communication with other people. It's, it's, it's you know setting expectations, or you know if you want to call it a contract between, hey, my library is gonna gonna take in this input and give you this output, and these are the these are the things where it's gonna throw an exception, those sorts of things. Right. Um. So there's there's a lot of non-code aspects to you know, software development. There's project planning. There's you know mm-hmm. there's there, there's testing. There's QA. There's sustainability. There's there's lots of other pieces besides just sitting down and, and cranking out code. Right. Um, so, uh, so, so keep that in mind. The other, uh, the other quote that I like is, says that if you're crossing the country in a covered wagon, it's better to have four strong oxen than a hundred chickens. Chickens oh, are sure. okay, but we haven't been able to figure out how to make them work together yet. Yeah. And so, uh, find, finding strong team members that are willing to work together and pull together in the same direction, rather than just running off as a hundred chickens in, in different directions. Um, is is part of that and and, you know without spending too much time into going into how do how do you build uh, you know build teams that pull together and 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 work together well um that's that that's the basic idea there yeah a lot of this as as being a, a manager of software developers is about how you frame success and failure as well so for example um just on the scoring side of things if, if your success as a manager means failure for people on your team or failure for other teams, excuse me, um, then that's, that's plus two points to your score. That's not good. Uh, if you take all the credit for the successes but none of the blame for failures, you're not a very good manager, you know. Uh, I think we've all had good managers. We probably all had bad managers. I, I have one, one one in particular that all, was always quick to take success for, for anything that it's that, good to that, have that had maybe. both. Yeah, yep, but it is.
0: Yeah, I understand.
1: Um, but uh, you know, it's 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 you know, He would he would never take any blame for any of the failures. He'd always pass on the blame you know onto on the individuals beneath him. And I think I think you got to take both. If you're if you're taking credit for the success, you got to take take blame for the failure. Um, if you share credit, you know, for the success with your team, that's probably you know, about par. I think most uh, most software developers and software development managers are are good at sharing credit. Um, uh, One thing I find is important is spending as much time looking forward in personal development as you do looking backwards with performance reviews. Uh, Mm. One of the companies I worked for was really good about saying, hey, every six months, we're going to have a, you know, know, we're going to have a performance review and see how you've done over the past six months. Um, Okay. But, but. Also, every six months, we're also going to, on kind of the odd quarters, we're going to do a a review of personal development. Where do you want to go looking forward? Oh, nice. So something happens
0: every quarter.
1: So you had something every quarter, but it's alternating between looking forward with personal development and where are you in your career and what what skills do you need to learn to move forward? Those sorts of things. And then, you know, the alternating one is looking backwards and performance review. How have you done in the past six months, you know? That sort of thing. And so you really do have to do both. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If you're going to try to keep people, especially Uh a software developer, you need to make sure they're learning. There's (laughs) there's nothing
1: more more frustrating to a software developer to find out, to have an an annual review once a year that's looking backwards and, and say, you know, over the past year, you really didn't do so hot. And he's like, well, why didn't you give me feedback, you know, exactly. to, find out, you know to find out a year later that, uh, that that you haven't been doing as well as you thought you were and haven't been getting that fee- feedback in a timely fashion is, is, is not cool.
0: So. There's probably nothing that's more discouraging or very few things that are very more discouraging yep. than being told that your last year was bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's more generalized than what it should be.
2: So, yeah and
1: then i put a, a you know two 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 you know take two points off your score if you if you measure each team member against their own personal yardstick rather than against each other it's okay. really easy as a software manager to say well uh, joe is faster than frank and but but but, but jill is, is a better communicator than sue or, you know those sorts of things but it's it's harder to you know measure each person against their own personal yardstick rather than comparing you know one person to another because we're all individuals we all have our different strengths and talents and and different ways of approaching things and so it's it's not always completely fair to compare one person against another person so i, I find really good software development managers measure, measure each person based on their own personal yardstick
0: yeah i like that a lot it takes a it takes a team right and if it, everyone was the same you want to create beautiful <laughs> things it all just be the same <laughs> exactly it's it, it yeah. it's
2: a
1: good it's a good thing that not everybody's just like me or it'd be a really really boring world you know? <laughs>
0: I would say the same thing if everyone was like me, it'd be very boring as well
1: <laughs> and that the, and that kind of leads into uh into habit number five where which I call it's not about you and i, I think this one is best exemplified by uh, uh a meme that my wife used to have on, on on the desktop of her her computer. It's captain Kirk from star trek and and it has these big words she oh, says, "I'm sorry, I can't hear you over the sound of how awesome oh I am.
0: my goodness, yeah.
1: And, uh, i I think we see some of this in the, in the software development field uh, we all we all hear about these 10 times engineers or 100x engineers you know that that, that, are, that are just rock stars that come in and, and, and can walk on water and that sort of thing mm-hmm. um, but I find too many times um, they some they sometimes just come in and, and, and wreak havoc on a team and they're there for a short amount of time and then they wander off because they don't have, have a good sense of, you know, listening to, to, to a team and understanding what's going on with the team before be, be, before they jump in and say, oh, I know the answer to this, let's go do this. You know, um, or as the way Stephen Covey put it is seek first to, be, to understand and then to be understood. Yep. Um, so you know, taking the time to listen and understand, and, and what are the problems that the team is facing? What what has already been tried? Uh, is, is there particular reasons we we wouldn't try this particular approach? You know, understanding first before kind of imposing your own you know world yeah. on things is, is is very very helpful. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've seen software developers that were really good and loved what they do, but they left because they got a new manager that came in and didn't understand their role, didn't understand what they were doing. Um, just kind of impose their 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 will on things, and uh, and, uh, and and it caused really good software developers to say, "Hey, this guy doesn't know what I'm doing. What I do doesn't doesn't value my, my work here. I'm I'm, I'm going to go for greener pastures."
0: Yeah, it's interesting. It's been like a reoccurring thing in conversations like this that I've heard. Like, hey, there's people who might ace like the technical side of an interview, but then, do you want to spend like a day with them? Like, I don't know. <laughs> and like the more important part uh you know is is like kind of the soft skills often even though it's a technical job Mm -hmm. um because you do need all come together
1: especially when you're in the trenches if there's yeah if if you're up against deadlines or outages or those sorts of things that's when you find out that that that, hey i don't i i I can't get along with this guy and i don't i I don't want to spend time with and i say guy it could be guy or gal but
0: right
1: yeah so uh so the way i've kind of scored this one is yeah i want to hear how you score this one this, uh, plus two if, if if you're demanding that the team does it your way before they can even explain the context of the problem um plus one is giving unsolicited advice about things you don't really understand um i think par for the course is having a good balance of give and take on you know on, on giving feedback uh, and, and giving advice um I go one, one, one under par if you take the time to fully understand the problem before you before making a decision or, or imposing your will on, uh, on a particular project. Um, but I think even more important than that, you can get negative two points. Uh, uh, help the team find the right solution by asking probing questions. Okay, This is something I've learned as a software manager. It's hard to do, but sometimes rather than just saying, hey, have you thought about this? Ask the questions and help your team come to that realization on, on their own by, by, by thinking about it so that the next time, you know, you don't have to give them the answer at the end. They're kind of kind of programmed to think, think through those things and ask those, those probing questions. It's, it's harder as a manager to, to ask questions and then wait for the silence and, uh, and let them think through those things. But that, That's how you grow better software developers. I like that. And uh, you know, some, sometimes we're afraid of the negative space. We're, we're afraid of that silence. And I think sometimes it's, it's very, very healthy to, to ask a probing question and say, I don't need an answer right now. Let's let, let's let's continue this conversation tomorrow or later this week or next week, and then and then come back and, and take a look at this and, and gives right. space for the for the developer to go you know solve the problem. I mean, as, as software developers, we can be, we become really good at problem solving sometimes mm-hmm. to a fault. And oh so yeah. Sometimes we need a little space to, to work through the problem and, and 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 figure it out and and optimize for that.
0: Right hits bucket two, right important mm-hmm. not urgent exactly. <laughs> yeah
1: so so sometimes probing questions are you know are, are, are the good thing
2: there yep
1: all right on to habit number six uh this i call play your game not someone else's um with software development the, the best uh, analogy i can i can do for this is software libraries um do you use somebody else's software library as, as you're building out a program to, to kind of Take care of some of the heavy lifting underneath the covers, or do you build your own? Do you you use an existing framework? Do you build your own framework? You know, it's kind of the old adage: Do you do you build or do you buy? Or in some cases, can you leverage some open source software to do it the way you do? and, and, and I've seen it work well in, in, you know, on kind of both sides. Right. That's line. what I'm th- thinking.
0: So you're not saying one's right or one's I'm not, wrong. I'm, not, I'm just, not
1: saying always build. I'm not saying always, yeah. buy. I'm not saying always, always leverage, you know, open source. You're I'm just saying, trying
0: to understand them as a developer. Right. Right. I, I, yeah. I'm
1: saying, I'm saying that, that, that those are all tools in your toolbox and you have to know when to use the right tool for the, for the right thing. There's obviously pros and cons, both in, both in terms of immediate cost, you know, and kind of, kind of, capex costs so to speak right um there's there's terms of kind of long-term operational cost and, and, and maintainability um if you're leveraging an open source library there's there's obviously some uh, long-term you know kind of total cost of ownership you have to think about as mm-hmm. what does it take to keep up with changes in that library yep. uh, if there are security updates to that library how quickly can we update our software to use a newer version of that library yeah
0: the maintenance um, and support side the maintenance and support yeah. side of
1: thing and so you have to you have to keep track of all of that stuff and 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 you know, and and then make a decision. Uh, One of the analogies I like is that, uh, you know, building software is kind of like buying a pony. If my daughter came to me and said, dad, I really want you to buy me a pony. Will you please buy me a pony? It's not just about what does the pony cost, right? The first thing you're going to think about is, okay, where's that pony going to live? And, 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 you know, how much is it going to cost to feed it? Who's going to feed it? Who's going to take care of it? Who's going to take it to the vet? And when you go off to college, who's going to, you know, what's going to happen with the pony? You know, you're thinking about, you know, that that total cost of ownership right um the same thing with software development you should be thinking not just hey what does it take in terms of you know man hours to to go write this piece of software but what does it take to do the upkeep what does it take to to keep up with security updates and and keep it you know keep it sustainable and you know is it worth putting more effort during this in during the software development process to make it more sustainable over the long haul and how do you do that is it documentation is it you know, is, it, is it the way that it's coded? Is it the language you choose? Those sorts of things. Right. So think about that. You know what? You know, t- talk about what what does success look like? What are the metrics um, that you that you're actually going to be using to measure the the, the success of your software project? Um, how do you know if you hit a bullseye or not? You know, those those are things that you want to uh, that you want to take care of.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's free like a puppy's freeze when we it's hear. It's free like it's a
1: the puppy. <laughs> No such thing as a free puppy, right?
0: Yeah, I'm learning that right now, actually. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is fun. Yeah.
1: So, uh, so uh, as far as scoring goes, uh, I'm going to give you a plus two points if you spend more time on your tooling than you do on actually producing useful, okay. useful output. I think we've all found. Uh, software developers that that r- really love their craft, but to the point where they they spend more time building the frameworks and the jigs and the you know kind of the 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 infrastructure around their code, and, and never actually get around to writing the code mm. that 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 they're trying to write. Um, Plus one, if you work on things that are fun and interesting, but not necessarily the most productive. I think some people, software developers just love what they do, but they love playing around with, with something new that they're learning. And so they try to say, hey, I'm gonna try to use this particular thing that I'm learning about in this in this code that I'm writing, not because it's the most efficient way to get that code written, but because it's, it's fun and exciting right. and new and you know, shiny object syndrome. So um, zero points if you alternate between useful output and fixing, improving internal systems you know i think that's that's kind of par for the course as a software developer you can't just always be writing new code and not not fixing up old okay. code um so i think that's kind of par for the course um i'll give you one point under if you uh do appropriate measurements that are agreed upon before starting a new project so so you can say hey I expect the code to be done by X Y Z date, and this is what the, the feature set that it should have, and, and and then negotiate on. You know, hey, it may not have fe- this feature, but it will have this feature, and we'll add this feature in version two or version one point two or those sorts of things. Uh, two points below par if you if you if measurements are understood to be that it's just a measurement, it's not the end goal. Um, there's a there's a law I think it's called Godwin's law if I remember correctly. Uh, no, it's not Godwin's law. Conway's law. Um, no, that's not right either. Um, anyway, there's one of these, these computer get science laws, and I'll get it. I've I completely forgiven it. That basically says that, that when the measurement ends up being the target, it ceases to be a good measurement.
2: Mm, um, okay.
1: And and basically, you know, if 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 your metrics are such that 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 the goal is to hit a particular metric, well, people are going to game the system, and it ceases to be a good measurement. You know, if you're being judged on, hey, how many lines of code did you write this week? Well, then you're going to write write more lines of code at, at the right. expense of uh, of other things. If 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 the metric is, you know, how, how many new software projects did we launch this year? Well, you're going to launch new software projects at, at the expense of, of sustainability. So, when I look at
0: these five, it's pretty interesting because um, I think of what a developer is doing every single day, um, who maybe just has an engineering background. First, you know, you got your MBA, right? There's a reason why. Um, developers are doing what they're doing and often ends up tying back to the organization doing well and organization doing well means that they, you know, hit revenue targets or something like that. Right. Sure. Ultimately. And what, what we're seeing, you know, if you compare it to 10, 15 years ago, is that it's easier to quantify the value of a developer um, today than there is, you know, back when, you know, you were talking about, you uh, those buckets. And I think I use like, you know, keeping the lights on activities versus being mm-hmm. productive and we're seeing a shift, right? A lot of things are going SaaS from being on-prem and, and therefore once it's SaaS, you can kind of put a dollar amount into what the time is to, you know, whatever, spin up something and uh, turn something on the cloud or whatever. But how, how do you help um, a developer transition from, you know, plus two or plus one to being like, Hey, you know, Let's discover the why as as to why you're spending your time like doing this. Can we can we help you? I guess quantify you know to the business the value yeah. that you're bringing on an hourly basis and, and help improve you know that value that you're bringing. Like how do how do you help someone like that? Sure, I, think, I think you understand a, what I'm saying. <laughs> sure,
1: I, I think there's I think there's a couple of ways to do that. I think first of all, don't be afraid to um, share business, you know, the, the kind of the business stats with, with your software developers. Right. I know that s- most software developers are not that interested in, in the the, 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 profit profit and loss statement. And you know, what, what, what <laughs> was your gross margin this month and those sorts of things, but still sharing those with them. So, so at least they know how the business is doing and, and, and if, particularly on their team, if there, if there's, you know, line items specific to their team on, on, on the, that are quantifiable as far as how's the business doing. Um, Oftentimes those are helpful for them to start thinking about, oh, it's not just about me getting X, Y, or Z done, but it's how does that contribute to the to, to the overall organization? Some of the best C- CEOs I've worked for have taken the time to help people who weren't that interested in the in the business, learn more about the business. Right. That's they, it, the, crucial. The more, right. Yeah. The more interested you are in how the business is doing, the more you're gonna, you know, kind of self, self-police and self, self-direct your interests towards, you know, making making things work better.
0: Beautiful. That was very well said. Yeah. Okay. So is that something that's like in the culture of the business or is that I, like I, as an individual I, manager, you need to I, do that?
1: I, I think it's absolutely in the culture of the, of, of the business. Some businesses are really good at doing that. Some aren't, but that's certainly something that could be taught and shared. And, and you know, it's, it, it, it's not, you know, if, if your company isn't doing it now, it doesn't mean they can't pick up that skill. It's just like any other skill. It could be learned and taught and shared.
0: Right. So I think ultimately a lot of developers would be interested in learning that, you <laughs> know, um, and it would change how... They're bucketizing between one, two, three, and four, and how that would be relayed to someone like a CEO if they care or not, right? The
1: other, the other thing that I want to mention is that I think it's really, really important to be honest with your software developers and, and let them know that you understand as a, as, as their manager that not mm-hmm. every hour is worth the save. <laughs> that you might spend seven, eight hours pounding your head against a problem, and and. And it's it, you know not not making very much progress, and then you know you spend 15 minutes the next day, and it's solved, and and, and,
2: and you know you're you're moving. Well, up. you're talking to so a sales
0: much. rep right now. You know how many hours I spent pounding my head against the wall, and then all of a sudden a five minute phone call. I'm like, oh, it's great week, great week. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so
1: not not all software development time is, is 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 valued equally. And and then the other thing to to, to just be honest and, and open about is that oftentimes software developers are, are charting. New territory, you know. Yeah, they're pioneers cutting across the plains sometimes on, uh, for the first time, and they're it's
0: awesome. Yeah, it's
1: it's, it's really hard to, to it, it's awesome, but it's also really hard to plan for you know. It's yeah, nice you don't even how, know what
0: good looks like, right? right. Like, how are it, you supposed it's to nice tell them? To say,
1: oh, I think it's probably going to take me five or six hours to solve this particular problem, but but it's uncharted territory. It might take three minutes. It might take fifteen hours. And so just just understanding that and letting your software developers know that you understand that, but you're still going to try to get help them get better at estimating, you know, what, the, what things are going to take and, and, and with with the, you know, with the understanding that, that you know, it's, you know, it's a fluid world. It's not, it's not carved in stone. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, I think that's also helpful as well.
0: Hey, we're not all that different, it seems like. Huh? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Oh, we we we, we, don't, we like to, uh, to to curse the other the other side, but uh, yeah, of course, uh,
2: that's fair. Yeah.
1: All right, moving on to habit number seven. Um, this is this is one I call shuhari, which is okay. comes from Japanese martial arts, um, and it basically co- co- boils down to obey the rule, break the rule, and then be the rule. And the basic idea is when you're starting out learning something new, you should obey that rule. You should you know obey it with per, you know, kind of perfectness until you can, until and, and you, you know, that rule by by heart, you know, and only once you completely understand it and you completely, you know, know it by heart and know all the ins and outs of it, then, then, then you break the rule, not, not to be, you know, rebellious, but to, to, to see, okay, how, to, how does this work? If I don't do this piece, or if I don't do that piece, you know, how does that, uh, how does that change things? And then okay. only after after you've understood that do you kind of you know, be the rule or live the rule. Um, it's you know.
0: Where'd you come up with this?
1: Um, this was this I got out of uh, actually some reading I was doing on design systems. I, I, mm. I'm not a designer. I I have terrible design sense. Uh, you know, if if you ask ask me to build the front end for a for a, for a web system, I would gladly pass that off to somebody else and work on the back end. I mean, I have no design sense whatsoever. Um, but uh, in trying to try to become a a better designer mostly around some of the photography stuff I do as a hobby um, I I read an article in a a design magazine about kind of design thinking and 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 how to how to think you know how how to improve your thinking game as as you're building software and this this particular thing talked about that the, the, the shuhari method of of, of really you know obeying the rule until you understand it perfectly then go break the rule to understand mm. it, you know that kind of the, the the context around that rule and then and then be the rule or live the rule um, as, as a way you know so they they talked about apprentice painters that oftentimes they would as someone is learning to paint especially in, a, in an art school that they're like okay you must obey these rules as far as color and composition and and, and these sorts of things, and only after you've done that for a year, can then you can, can you go break the rule and, and, and be a little more avant-garde in your in, in your art. Um, and, and once you've done that and and kind of you know figured out figured out where you fit in the world, can you can really you know live live the rules that you've learned. Um, so when does it
0: be the rule? It's like define the rule.
1: Uh, it's it, it's it's more either define the rule or just embody you know embody okay. through the way that you you practice the art. Yeah, it's, it's what you.
0: Yeah, do. it's not a tough thing to follow because it's what you are.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, that's what you're going to um, do anyway.
1: <laughs> another great, uh, another great thing that uh, that I learned is there's a there's a professor by the name of Rhett Elaine who uh, wrote a great article in Wired magazine about the learning process and and how sometimes we get more experienced in our careers and we forget how to how to learn. We forget how to be a beginner we forget, you know, that, that, that struggle that you have to go through sometimes to, 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 to learn a new Mm -hmm. concept. Um, and he, he says, you know, you wouldn't go to expect to, uh, if you were bodybuilding, you wouldn't expect to, uh, to, to just instantly grow muscles without going to the gym and, and, you know, sweating and, and, and exercising and and putting a lot of, you know, effort and exertion into, into building up your muscles. And he says the same, the same as is for learning. He says, confusion is the sweat of learning. Um, you know, sometimes you need to, 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 to go have that confusion. You need to dive into a project and say, oh, I don't know how I'm going to make this work. And, 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 and then just work through the process and, and keep exercising and keep pushing until you build those, uh, those software development muscles and learn that new concept. So um, so I like to give my, you know, when I'm managing software developers, I like to give my team members, give, give them some space and some time to, to go, mm. you know, work through that confusion, work through that, that exercise, work through that, that learning process and as a, as a learner myself, I like to throw myself in, into things that I'm not totally familiar with. Um, you know, so that well, I that's can, how you
0: get creative too, right? And that's how you curious. find new ways to solve problems. <laughs> Maybe better ways. I
1: mean, some some of the some of the greatest uh, you know branches in my career have been. I threw myself into a project that I knew nothing about, and and became an expert in it, and then wrote a book on it, and showed other people how to do it, and uh, and that sort of thing. So so don't be afraid to 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 be confused. Don't be be afraid to have to struggle a little bit through some learning, because that's that's really how you grow and develop. And then one last quote that I just really love uh, about this whole concept of, of shuhari or, or, or you know, kind of sharpening the saw or, or, or being, being better at your craft, what, however you want to uh, phrase that, um, comes from Thomas Jefferson. He says, in, in matters of principle, stand like a rock. In matters of taste, swim with the current. I thought that was a good way of kind of, kind of summing up uh, some of that So uh, Let's go on to the, the scoring here quickly on habit number seven. Um, I give you plus two, if you're, if you're too experienced to learn something new, if, if you figure, I, I, I understand that I'm, I'm at the peak of my game now, I don't need to go learn something new. Mm. Um, plus one for, for being what I call a lazy learner. I'll learn if I have to, I guess, you know, um, you know, I, I, I'm perfectly fine with doing things the way I'm doing things. I don't need to, I, I don't need to sharpen the saw, you know? Um, I think par is is periodically pushing yourself in new areas, but not making out a constant effort. Maybe you know, once or twice a year, you try to pick up a new skill, a new programming language, or you know, any way of doing things, but but not really, you know, pushing yourself hard on that. Uh, we'll go one one below if you if you make a constant effort to hone your skills, uh, improve your craft, and two below if you actually create a personal progress or learning plan and schedule time to improve yourself. How many, how many of us actually block out time on our calendars to say, Hey, I'm going to learn something new uh, right. too many times. We leave that to, uh, either we leave that to, Oh, I'll, I'll find time. sometime. maybe I'll read an article over the weekend and try to learn something new or, or we just say, Oh, I, I'm not going to learn anything new unless I'm forced to by, by being thrown into a situation where I have to learn, learn something new. So,
0: so let's say you're plus two, you're too experienced to learn something new. Does that mean you need to get on a new project?
1: Uh, either a new project, or or maybe a, maybe a completely different company and a completely right. different inter- industry, and, and and shake things up a little bit. Uh, I've ser- I've certainly done that with my career, sometimes by choice, sometimes not by choice, but yeah, uh, but uh, been been forced to to to, to, to jump in and, and you know dive into the deep end and, and tread water for a little while until you learn how to swim and then you know, figure things out and you know sometimes that's a good impetus Uh, sometimes sometimes in my career i've just like you know i'm 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 growing bored with what i'm doing if i'm doing the same thing if i'm sitting in a cubicle doing the same thing this year that i was doing last year that that that, i'm not the kind of person who can stand that i i want to be you know learning something new or doing something interesting. So I'll oftentimes say, nah, I'm bored with that. Let's, let's move on to something else. And some, sometimes you're able to, to, to find a new project or a new team within the same organization you're working for. Sometimes it means taking a risk and, and, and going out and looking for a job in, you know, in another company or another industry.
0: So when you're at, you know, we named, um, I don't want to bring up company names too, too much, but sure. you worked for like three large organizations that are very well known that mm-hmm. have high talent when it comes to engineers right right um what did a company that's doing well to avoid situation of a double bogey having people that are too experienced to learn something new how did they proactively try to keep people and make sure that they are learning new things
1: so uh the, the one thing i shared earlier about having a, a, a personal development review you know yeah. Every other quarter, you know, right. every other quarter, you know, as, as well as good, yeah. performance review. I think that was, that was one of the things that, that was actually something I picked up from Capital One while I was there. And they, they, they were very, very good about that. Um, and so, so you knew as a, you know, as an engineer there, that not only were you being judged on your performance, how you did over the past six months, but you also knew that they were interested in your, in your career growth and in your personal development and your career development. Um, that was good. Um. Other companies are really good about making sure that there is not only you know money for training available, but time available for training. If you want to go, you know, pick up a new skill, or you know, you know go go to a conference or go to a training class to, to, to pick up a new. So skill. they let
0: you them do what use the nine to five. You <laughs> know, it's not nine to five. It's whatever you're working, but during our Monday through Friday nine to five, the employer's saying, "Hey, you know, we're gonna let you go learn." <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And,
1: and and part of that is just a, just a, a mentality. There are certainly companies out there who who view their employees as resources, as human resources to be mined. There are other companies who who view those as as capital. You know, human capital that's to be invested in and and and, and, and help to stay stay relevant and current. You know, and so some of that is just a, a company mindset of, you know, do I, do I view my employees as as you know, Hey, I hired him to do job A and he's going to do job A until he quits or retires or, or do they view, you know, Hey, we, we, we hired, you know, Jill to do job B, but we know that Jill is going to advance in her career. And sometime, you know, sometime down the road, Jill is going to take over her manager's job and her manager yeah. hire a move up to chain or that sort of thing. Right. And so I think, I think that's, that's the, the number one thing is, is having, you know, plans for, for a person's progress and growth within the organization. Um, I think the second thing is is being willing to promote from within um sometimes that's really hard um i know i've, I've certainly been a, a, a manager of a team and decided that to move on to a different role and i i was told we would prefer if you pull, pulled somebody from your team to take over your your role rather than you know replacing from the outside and i looked at everybody on my team and i thought well there's a few that that have this part of the no this part of the job but not this part of the job and, but no let's 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 see if we can take them and mentor them and, and maybe take a little longer to do the transition to make it easier for them to, to transition into that role. But uh, I think you know, being willing to, you know, to hire from within, even if the person doesn't have a hundred percent of the, the, the requirements for the, for the job, uh, I think that's, that's healthy and, uh, and helpful as well.
0: Well, they certainly probably have the trust of the people that they're working with and they, there would be some loyalty that would be gained in the, uh, World of technology where loyalty is hard to <laughs> hard to come by because there's a lot of lo- things going lo- loyalty on. Loyalty <laughs> is hard to come by. I
1: mean, you know, as, as software development, as software developers, we're we tend we tend to uh, kind of see through the. Uh, the marketing shine that sometimes gets put sure. on things, you know, we're we're good at saying no, no, no. I don't want to talk to the marketing droid. You know, let me, let me talk to the let me talk to the engineer. Let's get to the nuts and bolts of things. And yeah, so, you know, lo- loyalty is hard to come by, but but software engineers see when when the people around them are being promoted from within and and, and they're being invested in. I mean, software developers see that and they and they respect that. And uh, and maybe maybe that's the word that really sums that up is is finding ways to earn the respect of of your software developer.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up Capital One because I'm you know, right in DC and seemingly a lot of folks have spent some time at Capital One and there's probably a reason why because um, they develop people, right? Yeah. And um, they take care of people. So interesting to hear Indeed. that uh, when we look at how to avoid a double bogey that you brought up a Capital One example. <laughs> Makes sense to me.
1: Very good. And now I've gone through the seven habits here, but Ooh, there's
0: more in, in, Okay,
1: in, 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 in traditional, you know, software, software, uh, you know, presentations, but wait, there's more. Um, I, I like to throw an eighth one in there. Um, and that is to inspire, teach and mentor. Um, I think it's important for each of us to, to, as, as we've learned, as we learn things, as we figure out how this, this whole world works um, to take a minute every once in a while and help teach the next generation and, you know, the, the up and coming people. Some of those same things. This is one of the things I absolutely love about the open source software development communities that I'm a part of, mm-hmm. is that there's a there's a huge environment there for for teaching and mentoring and inspiring others and, and, and kind of, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants. I wouldn't be where I am in my career if I hadn't had some great mentors and some great teachers and been able to stand on the shoulders of other giants who came before me. And I hope to to have other people standing on my shoulders as well.
0: Well, you're definitely working towards that right now. Appreciate you ha- having you on. I, I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about Inspire. And I'm going to ask a question of her wrapped up with the, uh, we'll call it, I guess, the eight habits of highly effective developers or seven plus one at least. Um, so, uh, you, know, you know, you've been an evangelist in the open source community for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, You've been, you know, around computers since the age of six. So you have a unique ta- like view of what's going on with technology right now and just taking a step back and looking at technology as a whole, like what excites you most about the future?
1: Oh, boy. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think connectivity is something that, that, mm-hmm. that, that, that really interests me, especially uh, video these days. You know, I spent, I spent much of my career in the voice over IP industry and the telecommunications industry with voice over IP and, and telephone systems. Um, but, but really, over the last couple of years, how much more video is, is tied into that and being able to see each other. I think there's you know, kind of nonverbal cues that we get from, from video um, that, that can be helpful. It's also more you know, psychologically taxing to be on video calls all day long as well. Sure. So I think there's, there's pros and cons there. But just the, uh, you know, the, the, the video for, for better collaboration and better, better communication is interesting to me. Uh, at the same time, there's been a huge uh, uptick in, in kind of prosumer level uh, video, you know, hardware that's that's become available at a reasonable price. Where, you know, on my desk, I have a, a I have a four port video, you know, HDMI mixer that, uh, that can scale, scale has scalers and can do picture to picture and can do you know graphics and, and lower thirds and those sorts of things. And, and very inexpensive and, and just, just amazing that, that that level of hardware three or four years ago would have been thousands and thousands of dollars. And now it's hundreds of dollars and, and, and that sort of thing. And so really bringing kind of that that level of sophistication down to the point where, you know, a guy with a laptop and a, and a few hundred dollars worth of equipment could have the, the equivalent of a TV studio of five years ago, um, is, is really amazing and, and kind of democratizes that technology. So that's that's really really interesting to me. Um, uh, another thing that 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 fascinates me is as the world you know, generates more and more data, how do we find meaning in that data? How do we either structure that data or search that data or you know or find ways of making it so that it's not not just you know you know. Uh, to, not not it's usable, not just right? bigger, but better. It's yeah. usable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, maybe maybe four or five years ago, uh, Delta Airlines had this uh, had this ad campaign. That only lasted for a few months, but it said, "We're not just building a bigger ad- airline; we're building a better airline." And so, I, I want to think about how how are we building better data, and not just bigger data, right? Um, and so that's that, that's something that uh, that fascinates me. Yeah,
0: that kind of they they kind of tie together both of those points, right? Because one, it's like access to everyone can have access to this you know machine that is uh, capable of like crazy um you know compute and storage and all these things that when you first got your computer and you're six years old you couldn't even possibly imagine that for the price point you know here we are having a podcast and the minimal amount of cost set up and um you know it's fantastic that everyone can come out and get on a platform and see things like that whether you know anywhere in the world right um, and then even then you bring it to an enterprise level and then you're talking about data right and we're talking about how you can actually store all the data and then you can cost rationalize keeping all of it because you know, the cost for a terabyte of storage isn't what it was even 10 years ago. It's a fraction of it. And the same thing goes with compute and all that. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a crazy world. I thought when you brought up connectivity, you're going to talk about like maybe like 5G. Um, but it's interesting that you went to, to video. Oh, it's, uh,
1: it's more about human connectivity. Than yeah. It's, it's,
0: mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah, it's, it's an amazing time that we're in. So um, for the software engineers that are listening right now, is there any, as we go to wrap up, here, Jared, is there any advice that you'd give um, software engineers who are looking to grow their career?
1: Um, that's a good question. Uh, other than the the, the things I've al- already shared, um, you know, yeah,
0: just anything you want to talk about before we wrap.
1: Um, I guess I guess the other the other thing is is don't be don't be afraid to, uh, you know, we're, we're reasonable. Play play with things on the side. I mean, I I know that many of our our lives are, okay. are all consuming and especially. With, with more people working remote and working asynchronously and, and, and maybe working not not the traditional nine to five that we find ourselves working from the time we check our phone first thing in the morning till the till, till we finally fall asleep exhausted in front of the. Yeah. Room. Um, but but just tinker with things on the side. I, so many so many of the things that I've found joy in in, in my career have been something that I started playing with you know, just as a side project to learn something new. Uh, and then, you know, develop that into something where I could either go, go use that as, as part of a, a job or, or, you know, create a, create a role for myself in a company because I, I had those skills. And so, you know, again, just, just tinker, be, be, you know, yeah be, and, be unafraid to go learn. And, you know, the the way, the way that we learn sometimes is, is to fail, you know, fail early, fail often, you know, fail in a safe environment. So, you know, you know, but, you know, learn how to crawl, then learn how to walk and then learn how right, to run.
0: Right. That makes there's two real, I guess, takeaways that I'll bring up before we wrap here. And that just tied into one that I thought was interesting, which was, I guess, as an individual contributor, if you would, like don't forget how to be a beginner. You just kind of brought that up, right? Take care of things on the side. And then from like a management standpoint, I think it was interesting because we talked about, you know, seek first to understand before being understood. And then you took it a step further. And it's helped teams by asking probing questions and help them grow. Like from a management standpoint, I thought that was a pretty uh, powerful statement. So um, Jared, really appreciate the time this morning. Um, obviously, we, we want to bring value to our listeners here. It's, it's largely folks in the DC area, but it can't be anywhere in the world. Like we were talking about um, folks in IT, right? The engineers, the software developers. And uh, you know, as we're, as we're chatting, if there's listeners out there, Um, that want to hear something specifically on the podcast, please let me know. It can send me a direct message. And then until next time, Jared, thank you again and and have a wonderful day.
1: Thanks, you.